I'm sure that some of you may have seen the wonderful Christmas story on the news recently about a man named Dan Peterson and a, and a little girl named uh, Nora Wood. It turned out that, that Dan is in his early 80s and his wife, Mary, of so many years passed away about six months ago. And when his wife passed away, it threw Dan into incredible depression. They had walked so much of life together and now finding himself alone, he just didn't want to get out of the house. He would sit endlessly by himself, simply looking out of the window. This incredible depression set in on him. He couldn't seem to get out of it. One of the things that he hated so much was actually going to the grocery store. But you finally have to go to the grocery store or you're going to go hungry. But going to the grocery store alone was really tough. But one day he went to the grocery store and was going down the aisle when along came Tara Wood and her two small children. One of them was Nora. And as she came by, it turned out it was her, her birthday. They were there to buy her birthday uh, cupcakes. And as they went by and she looked up and she saw Dan, she said, Hi, old man. Today's my birthday. And he stopped and looked at her and said, Well, little lady, how old are you? I'm four years old. I'd like a hug, please. It so shocked him, but he hugged little Nora and she squeezed his neck. They stood there for a little while and they exchanged pleasantries. And then finally they went on. And went around the next corner, but as they got to the inn, little Nora said, I want my picture with him. She jumped out of her little cart and she ran around and Tara came after them. She came up to him and said, I'd like my picture with you. Dan said, okay. So here came Tara and she took their picture. And then she turned around and she gave him a hug like they were long lost friends. And Tara was rather embarrassed by the whole thing. And she said, I just got to tell you, I'm so sorry. Thank you so much for being so kind. But Dan looked up and tears were streaming down his cheek. And he said, no, thank you. I haven't felt this good in a long time. He headed for the checkout stand. Tara was finishing her shopping. But when she got home, she posted this picture of the two of them on her Facebook page. And she wrote some commentary saying, you know, this was so unusual because this is not Nora's character. She doesn't just go up to everybody she meets. She isn't that outgoing and friendly. This was so out of character for her. Well, she posted the story and thousands responded. And one of them who happened to see it was a friend of Dan's. And so his friend responded to Tara saying, you need to know that Dan's wife passed away six months ago and he has been so depressed. Well, it was through that contact that Tara decided to make contact with Dan. And so a day or so later she called him and said, are you the Dan who had his picture taken with a little girl in a supermarket? And he said, you mean Nora? Yes. Yes, I am. Well, she would like to come see you. What do you think about that? He was thrilled by the whole idea. And so the next day, here came Tara and Nora. They came to the door. 
And in she comes and she hugs his neck. She had brought a book to read. She brought this photograph framed of the picture of the two of them in the grocery store. They sat and they read the book together. She then started to color and she drew pictures that he put on his refrigerator. She brought him a sack of, uh, of uh, pastries and butternut candy bars, butterfingers. They spent their time sharing together and finally it was time to go. But then every day when Tara picked up Nora from school, she said, I'd like to go see Mr. Dan. And her mom said, we can't go every day. But they made a commitment that they would go at least once a week. And they began calling and following up because they were concerned for Mr. Dan. Well, it has been such a blessing in his life. It has put this smile back on his face. It is making him get out of bed and be excited about life. And they were interviewing him and they said, why do you think this has happened? And he was very candid and said, I believe little Nora is an angel from God. Come to remind me that I have to open my heart to love if I'm going to live. You have to open your heart to love if you're going to live. It's only when we open our hearts to love that you become surrounded by friends and family. And it takes friends and family to get to Bethlehem. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series. Roadmap to Bethlehem. And what we've said is that all of us want to get into the Christmas spirit. We want Christ to be born in our lives and Christmas to be special. We have said that Bethlehem really is kind of the spiritual state of our soul. It's the state of our mind. And maybe the best way for us to get into that spirit and to get to Bethlehem is to look at those who made the journey to Bethlehem and to see how did they get there. And so week after week we want to look. And what I want us to look at today is how the way you get to Bethlehem truly is sharing love with friends and family. It was Mary, if you remember, before she got to Bethlehem, she went to go see Elizabeth and Zechariah. Elizabeth was a kinswoman. She was pregnant with John. And Mary went to be with family, with friends, those she loved. It was then Mary and Joseph together who would make the journey to Bethlehem after they had had such a rocky period when Mary had to tell Joseph she was pregnant by an angel. No, it led to a difficult time, but together they would make the journey to Bethlehem. You would have the shepherds, all these friends who would come to the manger. They would represent the poor, the powerless, the Jews. And then you would have the men who were friends, who made the journey from the east. They would represent the rich, the knowledgeable, the Gentile. Everybody would open their hearts to love, to come and to gather there at the manger. 
And it's when you come in love with family and friends that you make it to Bethlehem. It's not something you just go and do on your own. And our scripture lesson this morning, which was so well done by Susan Easton this morning, as we, as we were looking at our scripture lesson this morning, reading through the, the genealogy of Jesus, looking at the family tree, what we are reminded is Matthew had something important to say to us about the family of Jesus. I mean, when you and I go read the Christmas story, you got to admit, when was the last time you sat down and read the genealogy, the first 17 verses? No, you start to read, you start at Matthew 1, 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's where we start. You don't read those first 17 verses. And yet the first 17 verses are the family tree of Jesus. And Matthew has something important to say here about family. He says there was 14 generations from Abraham to David and 14 from David to the deportation to Babylon and 14 from the deportation to Jesus. Now, Matthew knew and we know that's not really correct. There are more kings in there than, than Matthew will list. It was more than 14. You can flip over the book of Luke and you'll read some more of them. Matthew was trying to create something that the illiterate person, those who could not read, would be able to remember. And so he came up with this nice thing, 14, 14, 14. But Matthew also had something theological to say here. And what Matthew was saying is, this is the family of God. God's story revealing itself. And you're going to find people who are different who make up the family of God. You and I come together today and are reminded it's only when you open your heart to love with friends and family that you make it to Bethlehem. You're ready for Christmas. I want us to think about it this morning. Three things we need to see. First of all, it starts with you. Understand you don't have to be perfect to be a part of the family of God. That's what Matthew's trying to tell us here. When you look at the genealogy, you know the genealogy is traced through the men. And it's from Joseph all the way back through his genealogy, all the way back to Abraham. And yet if you were listening carefully as we just read this, what you saw was there were five women mentioned in the genealogy. Now that ought to raise eyebrows in and of itself. The five women who were mentioned, first of all, was Tamar. You can find her story in the 38th chapter of Genesis. It was Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob and Jacob had Judah. That was his firstborn. And so Judah had several sons and his oldest son, Ur, wound up marrying Tamar. But he died before he had children. And so the tradition was you gave your nextborn son to the widow so that they could raise up children and his name would go on. And so he gave his second son to Tamar and he died. 
And so then you're supposed to give your third son, but Judah said, no more. So Tamar, wanting to have children to continue to carry on the name, disguised herself and tricked Judah, her father-in-law, into sleeping with her one night, and she got pregnant with twins. And so it is the oldest of the two twins, Perez, that if you will read, they trace the lineage through Perez, the oldest of the sons of Tamar by Judah. Now, that's not the story you tend to talk about around the Christmas table. But that's in Jesus' family tree. The second one you talk about is Rahab. You might remember Rahab. She's a Canaanite. Rahab tended to spend most of her nights in the red light district there in Jericho. And when along came Joshua and the people of Israel trying to decide to cross the, the, uh, the river Jordan into Cana, they sent spies into Jericho and it was the harlot Rahab who hit out the spies. And so when they destroyed the city, everyone was killed except Rahab. She was brought into the family of faith, this Canaanite. And she would get married and she would become the mother of Boaz. We have her in the heritage. Well, then you remember the story of Naomi and Elimelech. They were living in Bethlehem. And because of a drought and a famine, they moved to Moab. Their sons married Moabite women. That's a no-no. And then both of the sons died. And Elimelech died. And Naomi decides to come home. And her daughter-in-law, Ruth, comes with her. Ruth is a Moabite. Ruth is the third woman to get mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. It is Ruth who comes back home to Bethlehem and she marries Boaz. And in the end, they will have a son, Oban, who will have a son, Jesse, who will have a son, King David. Ruth, the Moabite, becomes the great-grandmother to the great King David. The next woman to be mentioned is Bathsheba. She's mentioned here as the wife of Uriah. But we know her as Bathsheba. It turned out that she was Jewish, but she married a Hittite, Uriah. And again, you do that and you're not considered a a good Jewish woman anymore. She married the Hittite, Uriah. And then she had an affair with King David and became pregnant And so he sent Uriah to the front lines so he would die. And after he is killed, he takes Bathsheba into his harem and she has this baby which dies. But then together they have another child and it is King Solomon. Again, it's not the story you tend to talk about around the table at Christmas. The fifth woman you finally mention is Mary. Sweet Young, lovely Mary. That one I understand. The Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. Matthew's making a statement. The family of God is not made up of perfect people. The family of God is made up of imperfect people. 
The family of God is made up of Canaanites and Moabites. God's family is all people being brought together. It's what we see at the birth of Jesus there at the manger with Mary and Joseph, maybe an innkeeper, shepherds, wise men. It is young and old and rich and poor and Gentile and Jew. You know, I find so many people who really are hesitant to experience Christmas because of all the guilt they feel. It's easy to feel guilty and that we are not worthy to be a part of the family of God. Sometimes we just feel different. When families get together, it sure is easy to start comparing with one another. Who has the best job? Who has the biggest house? Who did mom love most? Who did daddy love the most? No, we can spend all our time and think we are different. Do we feel like we belong to family? We feel unworthy. Do we belong to family? The message of Christmas is you belong. You were invited into the family of faith. God's grace grafts us into the family of faith. And it's only when you open your heart and feel God's love that you really start the journey to Bethlehem. And so second, I believe when you open your heart and you begin to feel loved and a part of the family, it is so much easier to open your heart and to care for others. You can't get to Bethlehem until you start looking at the needs of others and you reach out to care for friends, for family, for strangers. It's when you love that Christmas starts to come. You know, one of those things that I think happens is each year we all decorate our houses. And, you know, I've, I've really become convinced that decorating the Christmas tree is a test. It's really a test to see if you can get the tree decorated and still know joy and peace. (laughs) This past week, Marsh and I, we'd been decorating the house. We had most of the stuff up. We had one night where we were available. We could do our tree. And we got home from work and we'd had dinner. And we managed to pull ourselves up and say, we got to do the tree and started to put it up. And then the lights didn't work. You know how often that's the case. The lights don't work. And I knew this was the one night to do the tree. And I said, I think we're on our way to Walmart. And so it was. It was after 7 o'clock that we headed out for Walmart. And we got there with the crowds. And we walked in the door. And when we walked in, I saw a member of our family of faith standing there with two other friends. Her name is Sandra. And she had a shopping cart full. And these other people had shopping carts full. And she saw me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, I need lights for the tree. And I said, what are you doing here? And she said, well, every year, the three of us go together and help throw a party for people who have AIDS at a special home. And we're trying to go out and get the things that they need. And I kind of thought, I'm looking for lights. And you're shopping with people who have AIDS. 
But I just smiled and said, well done. I'm very proud of you. Isn't it nice to have your preacher catch you doing something nice? You can shift your bracelet right now if you'd like to. But as I left there, it got me to thinking about a story I told you years ago about a lady who was a nurse whose patients were mainly AIDS patients. Her name was Louisa. She lived up in Washington, D.C. And every morning before she went out to go to work, she would stop and look at her grandmother's picture. She would just stop there for a while, looking at her grandmother and saying a prayer. You see, it all went back to when she was a little girl. Her grandmother was the first generation immigrant to the United States. She was from Italy. She was a good Roman Catholic. She was a strong lady who held her family together when they immigrated to the United States. But when Louise was a little girl, she had a cat named Fluffy she loved who had an accident and then died. And it broke Louise's heart. She cried and cried and cried and went to her mom and dad and her parents said, Do not cry. Do not cry. It's okay. Fluffy is in heaven. She is fine. She is in heaven. That's what all the adults told her. She said she knew that, but it didn't help. And she went to her grandmother and cried and cried and said, I asked God to help Fluffy, to save Fluffy, and he didn't do it. Why? Why? She said her grandmother picked her up onto her lap and she buried her head into her shoulder and just wept. And finally her grandmother said, Louisa, do you remember when your grandfather died? I prayed to Jesus that he would heal him, that he would be okay. But he died. And I don't know why. And Louisa said she put her head back into her grandmother and cried and cried. And then she looked up and she saw that her grandmother was crying too. And she said, in that moment, I will never forget the strangest thing happened. I felt comforted. I didn't feel alone in my grief. She wasn't telling me, don't cry. It's all going to be okay. She was crying with me. And that brought me comfort and a strength to face what I had to face. So every morning before she goes to work, she stops in front of her grandmother's picture to remember and to pray, knowing that that day she will embrace many people who are hurting and who are crying and asking why. And she will not have the reasons nor the answers. But she will cry with them. It's what it means to care. When you look beyond your own feelings, when you take yourself out of the center of the world and you start looking at another's feelings, you discover there are those with whom you need to laugh. 
and those with whom you need to cry. You weep with those who weep and you laugh with those who laugh. Again, when we get together as family gatherings this Christmas season, it sure is easy to always feel in competition, as we were just saying. Who's most successful? Who has the most kids? Who has the most this, that? As long as that's the spirit you bring, you're never family. Family is looking at each other's feelings and needs and choosing to care about those needs. You laugh with those who laugh and you weep with those who weep. And it's when you decide to move beyond yourself because you're feeling loved in the family that you start to see the needs of others. And then you're on your way to Bethlehem. And so third, it really is opening your heart to love, family and friends that enable you to come together with others and worship as one family. We come to worship Christ the Lord, the center of our worlds. And it's when you bring that heart of love, feeling loved in the family, reaching out to love others, you can come together to worship as one family. When you look at those who gathered there around that nativity, there in Bethlehem, they weren't in competition, shepherds with wise men or Mary with Joseph. They were all there out of a love for Christ. And it brought a love for each other so that all were able to worship. Canaanites and Moabites, those who were rather imperfect, rich and poor, we come together as one family in Christ. You may recognize the name James Montgomery. James Montgomery was born back in 1771. He was an Irishman. His mother and father were Moravians. His father was a Moravian preacher. And you may remember that Moravians were very significant in the life of John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, back in the 1700s. Well, these Moravian family, they were so very passionate, and, and James's mother and father felt called to be missionaries, and so they went to be missionary in the West Indies, down in the Caribbean. They left James at home with this community of Moravians. He was two years old. It was five years later that his parents were killed. James would never really know his mother and father. And so he grew up feeling really almost abandoned, alone. He was loved by other people, but it was such a struggle. He struggled in school and just couldn't make it, and he would do okay and then badly. And finally he dropped out of school, went to work as a baker. That didn't work. He dropped out of that. Um, he even tried to go to seminary. That didn't work. He dropped out of that. He, he did jobs off and on all the way till he was 20 years old and he found himself homeless most of the time. What he decided he really loved to do was tell stories. He was a good storyteller. And so he went to work for a newspaper. And the newspaper he went to work for was run by a man 
who was very passionate about the Irish cause and how they felt that the British were oppressing the Irish. And so he was always writing these fiery commentators, uh, co- uh, all commentaries all about the British and how they needed to revolt. And the British got tired of it and they finally ran him out of town. And so James took over the newspaper. And he continued to do the same thing. He was always calling the British out on something and saying the Irish needed to rise up and they needed to be a revolution and to fight and to set themselves free. They'd put him in prison for a little while and he'd get out, come back, do the same thing, get thrown back into jail for a little while and then get out. But after this cycle for a number of years, one time when James was in jail, he decided to start reading his Bible And he wanted to learn more about the faith of his mom and dad. He had left the faith. He had moved from that community. But now he grew curious about it as an adult. And as he began to read, something began to stir in his soul. We know it stirred in his soul in 1816 on December the 24th. Because having gotten out of jail, he came back home to write another uh, commentary. And when he did... This time he wrote not a fiery call to revolution, but he wrote a poem. It was entitled Nativity. I want to read it to you. Angels from the realms of glory, wing your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sang creation's story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship, come and worship, worship Christ the newborn King. Shepherds in the field abiding, watching o'er your flock by night. God is with us, now residing. Yonder shines the infant light. Sages, leave your contemplations. Brighter visions beam afar. Seek the great desire of nations. Ye have seen His natal star. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the newborn King. When it came out, the Irish and the British went, wow, that's good. Something was stirring in his soul. All the call for revolution of fighting stopped. And a new call to revolution of loving began. He started calling on all the people, Irish and Scottish and British, What does it mean to love one another in Christ? What does it mean to fight against slavery? He became an abolitionist. No, there was a whole new spirit. He moved back with the Moravian community, moved home again into the faith, and he became this prolific writer. Well, in the meantime, over in England, there was this man named Henry Smart. Henry Smart was a member of the Anglican Church, and he was going blind. His life was not perfect. It was not easy. But Henry still wanted to know a joy and a peace. And what he wanted was to be able to sing hymns in church. The Anglicans were still doing chants that were hundreds of years old. The Methodist church was doing all the singing. He wanted the Anglican church to be singing. And so he sat down and he wrote a tune to the poem Nativity but changed the title to Angels from the Realms of Glory. 
It's 220 in our hymnal. And in the 1800s, it became the most popular Christmas hymn in the Anglican Church. And I couldn't help but think, an Irishman and an Englishman discovering that when they opened their hearts to love, they could come together and worship as one family. It's when you open your heart to love, when you experience that love of Christ for you, and you then begin to look to the needs of others and express that love, you're going to find you make it to Bethlehem. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.